Welcome back to the Injury Prone Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Edwin Butters, Dr. Physical Therapy, Medical Analyst, FantasyPoints.com, Physical Therapist for the Minnesota Twins. I want to thank you all for your patience during this busy time. I haven't been able to put out podcasts. It means a lot that you listened in the first place. So I put out a poll recently, a poll that asked exactly what you'd like to know in terms of injury management for fantasy football drafts coming up. There were a lot of options, but the overwhelming option was, of course, player profiles. But what actually ended up winning out was giving you an ability to figure out injury risk on your own. And I actually think that's a fantastic place to start. So I want to start first by mentioning an article or a series of articles that I wrote over at fantasypoints.com. They're called Injury Prone is a Lie, Part 1 and 2. And it's exactly what it sounds like. I try to break down exactly why the phrase injury prone is overused or misused. And I do give information, data to support that argument. If you want to read both articles that I think are just as much in-depth, if not more in-depth than this podcast, I think that's a good idea. So you could go over to fantasypoints.com and read those. I'm just going to give you the highlights, the big strokes, and I'm going to teach you how to fish. I want to teach you how to be an injury analyst on the fly. Keep in mind that this advice is really based on a quick and dirty, fast injury analysis in the middle of your drafts. Fortunately, it doesn't matter if it's PPR, standard, anything like that. This injury analysis is pretty straightforward. But the other thing to consider too is that there's a lot more nuance and context that needs to be added to each individual single player. But I want to give you just one glimpse into some of the aspects that you should look into in order to know who to pick. And that's the third point I want to make is this general injury analysis applies to players that you think are in similar talent and opportunity pools. You think that they're in the same tier and have very similar outcomes, but your analysis comes down to an injury history. So let's start there. Now, I did put out a tweet recently where I said, too lazy to follow an injury analyst, but it's already draft day. Pick the guy who checks the most boxes. Youngest, fewest NCAA games missed due to injury, highest NFL draft capital, highest graded athleticism, not in year one of ACL+. But I do think that there are some points that need to be addressed here. First, age definitely is indicated in the literature. Whoever the youngest player is, is something that you want to look at. For example, in ACL tears, If a player is 24 or younger, then they're more likely to come back to the level that they were. So age matters because it helps your physical athletic reserve. That really goes along with the athleticism too. If a player is extremely athletic, then that just raises their profile even more from a physical capacity standpoint. So you think about somebody like Saquon Barkley. You can look at a spork score like we have over at fantasypoints.com. You can look at player profiler. You can look at a lot of different athleticism composite scores that are going to help you determine that metric. But a clarifying point on the age part, we know that if they're athletic, that's a good thing across the board. When it comes to an age perspective for fantasy football, we know that the younger a player is, the better off they'll be. We know that generally speaking, the peak running back age is somewhere between 24 and 26. And we also know that the peak wide receiver age in terms of a top 10 finisher is around 28. So take those numbers for what they're worth and apply them in that specific context. Understand that this age thing is all relative. If they're an absolute young age of 24 or 25, most injuries, I want to say most, not all, most injuries shouldn't carry over for that player because of their young age if you incorporate their high graded athleticism. And as a side note, that should go to answer the question, do injuries zap a player's explosiveness? I would say unless it's a significant catastrophic injury, which is a different show for a different day, I would say no, especially if they're young and highly athletic. The last two overarching points that you want to look at as an amateur injury analyst is the amount of games that they missed due to injury in college and what their NFL draft capital is. The first one is pretty straightforward. Based on a large-scale study, missing fewer than three games in college is actually predictive of getting drafted or not in the NFL. It also helps to predict what draft round you'll go in. So in other words, if you miss more games in college, 
teams are less likely to draft you and they're less likely to draft you at a higher position. It's just assumed risk that they're taking, which is tied very closely to the next point, which is NFL draft capital. Now, this might matter a little less, especially after a player has a few years under their belt, because nobody's going to tell you in the year of 2021 that you shouldn't have drafted James Robinson in your fantasy drafts. He was a standout at a lot of other fantasy guys' models. He was a guy that, regardless of going undrafted, was going to be successful to some degree just based on the entire situation as a whole. There are always exceptions, obviously. But generally speaking, if a guy has high NFL draft capital, he's passed every NFL organization's or at least one NFL organization's vibe check. And they're probably going to give him some sort of work. And they're probably going to give him a long leash doing so. The cutoff for this, especially in ACL tears, is the fourth round. Presumably, the higher the NFL draft capital, the more likely they are to be successful and continue to stay healthy in the NFL. That is just based on data for ACLs, but it probably can carry over to lesser injuries. I think this last one's really obvious, but it's injury history. Injury history really is the crux of what comes down to most injury analysis. What does it matter if a dude breaks a collarbone, tears an ACL, has a ruptured spleen? Looking at you, Keenan Allen. How much does it matter if a dude doesn't miss a game for four years, three of them in the NFL, taking a full workload, and then misses an entire season's worth within two seasons? Looking at you, Christian McCaffrey, it's actually more than that. He's missed more than that. So how do these injury histories matter? When do they matter? This is where it gets tricky. Because somebody like James Conner I faded last year, wrongly faded last year, simply because he'd had a connective tissue, a major connective tissue injury, in five of the last six calendar years. Now it's five of the last seven. He went on to smash. He played 15 games. He probably helped you win your league last year. So this is not a perfect science, guys. This is not a perfect science by any means. But injury history does help predict a little bit about where we're going to head with these players. And it helps predict other performance as well. If a dude is going to be hobbled is very different than if a dude is not going to perform well. But that goes back to the draft capital, the athleticism, and the opportunity that we talked about earlier. So what are we really talking about when we're talking about injury history then? We're talking about recurrence. We're talking about recurrence rates. We know that hamstrings, for example, they recur at about 20 to 30%. But did you know that after the first calendar year, that recurrence rate actually drops significantly, drastically? In that 20 to 30%, 70% of that sample recur within the same calendar year. And typically that happens within the same season. So basically what that's telling us is that if a dude is going to have a hamstring re-tear, it's going to happen in the same season. A good case example of this is Adam Thielen. He came back too soon in 2019 from his hamstring. He immediately re-injured the hamstring, but since then hasn't had any hamstring issues. It doesn't mean that he's not at a higher risk for having another hamstring issue. Another consideration is a high ankle sprain. High ankle sprains typically don't carry over from one year to the next. So if you're worried about a high ankle sprain, I don't think you should be. There's been one player from 2016 to 2021 that I've recorded who's had a high ankle sprain two years in a row. High ankle sprains are very similar to hamstring strains in that if they're going to recur, it's going to happen in the same year. That's why high ankle sprains aren't necessarily something you worry about on draft day, but it is something that you consider in season when you're making trades. They're a risky injury to deal with. Now, what about all the big injuries? List Frank, Achilles tears, ACL plus. Those are obviously super bad injuries and difficult injuries to come back from in year one. The only exceptions you should make for big injuries like that are running backs who are highly elite and check all of the boxes that we talked about earlier and are going to get a good amount of passing work. If an NFL running back is coming back from an Achilles tear, 
you bet your ass I want them to have as much passing down as possible because we know how much more those are worth. And if they're not going to have their explosiveness, it's going to be really difficult for them to gain and make up all that presumed loss of explosiveness on the ground. So it's not that you don't want these guys, but you definitely want them having some form of passing work to an extent that's going to help you gain that leverage against the explosiveness we know might be lacking in year one after an Achilles, after a list Frank, and after an ACL. For guys who aren't going to get passing down work, for guys who are coming off of an Achilles tear, those guys I'm probably just generally avoiding. But if they're a dude who's going to get plenty of passing down work, if they're young, if they meet all of the criteria that I talked about earlier, then I'm probably fine with them. It all depends on ADP. It all depends on where they're going and how you value them. But generally speaking, that's how you should be viewing your injury histories. You should be viewing them based on how young the player is, how many games they missed in college, what their NFL draft capital is, how athletic they are, and finally, their injury history. Now, this year, we have a guy coming off a of list, Frank, Travis Etienne, ACL Plus, J.K. Dobbins, and an Achilles, Cam Akers. This is going to be a huge litmus test this year for how far medical science has come. But I also think it's going to be a good year to illustrate how important passing down work is. For example, I'm in on Etienne. Depending on the cost, especially if he's going in the third, fourth round, I'm good with that. Now, you can talk about the workload Robinson might or might not take, is his upside capped, all that stuff. But generally speaking, if he sees volume, especially passing down volume, I'm in on Etienne. I like that. I'm going to mainly fade the 21% drop in offensive production that's historically marked for these running backs because I do think he's going to get enough passing down work to make up for it. You look at a guy like J.K. Dobbins. A guy who we understand is 10 and a half months post-op ACL and still not practicing, still on the pup. That's a dangerous game to play. Regardless of his draft capital, regardless of his athleticism, we know that that injury was obviously significant. You also look at that offense. His rushing volume in general is capped because of Lamar Jackson, and you still don't trust his explosiveness to do anything spectacular on the ground. Does he have a chance to be good? Yeah, absolutely. But given the entire context of someone I'm nervous for. And somebody that I think basically I've settled on being lukewarm for is Cam Akers. All of the data showing Achilles tears are bad for NFL running backs. Yeah, you can take all that into consideration. What scares me the most is the amount of volume in the air that Akers might not get. So if he does lack that explosiveness that we anticipate after an Achilles tear, is he going to be able to make up for it in the air? I don't know. That really negates all of the factors that he does meet in terms of high draft capital in terms of athleticism, in terms of how many games he missed in college. All of that stuff is performance-based as opposed to re-injury-based, but it does impact performance. So these conversations are kind of difficult to have because we need to know what we're talking about, recurrence rates or performance. So that's where I stand with those guys. Thanks, guys. I hope that wasn't too much for a 10-minute podcast. Let me know what you think. Follow me on Twitter at FBInjuryDoc. Let me know what questions you have.